Happy holidays, everybody, and welcome to episode 373 of the AMPM podcast. This week, my guest is Keith O'Brien. Keith and I go back to the old days, eight, almost nine years ago now. We started selling on Amazon and doing Amazon stuff. We talk a little bit about that in this episode, some of the old, good old days of when you could rank stuff super easily within a day. We talk about uh, the agency business and how that's uh, evolving and changing. And, and we talk about one of the hottest things going on out there in the world right now it's called pickleball. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the AMPM podcast. Welcome to the AMPM podcast. We explore opportunities in e-commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast where money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are you, you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin King. Kevin King. Welcome to the MPM Podcast. It's great to have you here. Finally, Keith, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me on. I think we've uh, we've known each other of each other uh, for quite some time. Going back, you've been doing this uh, uh, since uh, I don't know if the egg or the chicken came first, but uh, you were one of those two, right? Uh, back when exactly. the old days of Amazon. Yeah, I started. Uh, I joined a company in like December 2014. Um, that was a, it was a service provider. You were actually a customer of ours. Uh, I, then I partnered into that company a couple months later. That was I Love to Review. So way back in the day, um, the glory days when incentivized reviews were, were completely legit. But um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's when I got my start. I think I opened the office here in Florida in uh, January 2015. And that was, wasn't that an Australian company? There's an Australian person involved yeah, in that, so right? Or something? My previous business partner, uh, who's Australian, started that company in like October 2014. Uh, I think we were the first to launch just b- before Snag Shout. Back, God, man, we're wa- waxing nostalgic for the old guys. Yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I partnered in and then I took over as CEO in May of that next year. And Adam moved on to creating a, a very successful training company out of Australia called Reliable Education. Yeah, so back for those of you that are new to this that aren't OGs like uh, Keith and I, so used to, up. I, I remember the date, it was October, was it October 3rd, 2016, right? Six. That, that's D-Day. Oh. That's like, uh, you yeah. know, everybody knows Pearl Harbor Day or they know 9-11, uh, or something in, in the Amazon space, October 3rd, 2016 is the day that, uh, I think I have that right, uh, that Amazon said no more incentivized reviews. And it was a game changer. I remember Manny Coates calling me. Uh, he, he was running the AMPM podcast back then. Uh, it started Helium 10. He called me and said, Kevin, we got to do something right now. We got to get a podcast out right now. The, the word just came down. This is going to go crazy. Um, so, what you used to be able to do just to explain it to people is there were companies and you, you had, I think the first one, I love to review was the name of the company. And then there's another one called snag shout. And there's uh, basically the idea is you snag a product and you shout out about it. And then there was several others that were in the space. I mean, viral launch was doing it. Everybody was doing it. Yeah. Uh, and you could write a, you could buy a product at a discount on Amazon. So a lot of people were issuing coupon codes for like 99% off. Um, in some cases, I think at one point you could even do free, but they, they yeah, took that away. Yeah. And so you could basically get a product for free. So you would sign up for, you know, Facebook groups were doing this. Um, there were companies that set up to do this and they would, 
you would go and get the product. Here's my new garlic press. You would get it for free. And then you're able to actually, once the product came, you could go and you could write a review, uh, an authorized review on Amazon, as long as you put in a disclaimer that said something to the effect of, I'm writing this review in exchange for a product or something, something along right. those lines. Yep. And then on October, and that's how everybody would rank. So there was companies that, that started up like Zon Blast uh, was another one. And you guys, and it would not only help you rank, but you could also get reviews. And that's how you could instantly launch in a day or two um, on to the top of all the results on Amazon. It was crazy times. It's a wild, wild west. And then Amazon clamped down on that in October of 2016. Didn't stop a lot of people. They, they just kind of worked sure. away, <laughs> did it a little bit differently. But you were one of the first guys, I think, I love to review that kind of moved in a different, you saw the writing on the wall and moved in a different direction, right? I mean, you're one of the first ones that said, okay, enough of this. We're not going to play this game anymore. Yeah. As soon as, um, I mean, we got emails from Amazon legal, right? A bunch of us. And so once we verified that the email was legit, right. And we went through a bunch of certain sources to do that. Um, uh, what does email say? It basically said like a cease and desist or, yeah, like and it, you're, you're in trouble. Uh, come to the principal's office, or didn't or what? say we were in trouble, but it, it went a step further and it said, you know, uh, with Amazon's recent policy updates to TOS, we have deemed your service as against terms of service. And then the last part was why we stopped, which is said, uh, continuing your services will put your business and your clients' businesses at, at risk of suspension. So. Uh, or further legal action. And so as soon as it like it put in there that clients would potentially be at risk, it was a game over for us. And so, you know, that was never something that we would do. And, and uh, ironically, I announced that we were going to shut that company down on a like 2000 person CPC strategy webinar that we were all scheduled to do. Um, with Pat Petrillo hosting and navigating, basically unpacking this big change. Um, but, you know, we pivoted, but, you know, our, our company name was now against Terms of Service. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of coming out of that one. So were, was that the only thing you guys were doing back then, or were you doing other services? Were you like a precursor to the agency model, or were you just yeah, doing launches all, and reviews? That's all we did. And, uh, you know, we took a lot of pride in doing it right. I mean, we modeled the company after Vine back in the day. So, like, we were the, a unique service where you couldn't contact your reviewers. You didn't know any of their history. Like, it was, there was a firewall. And so, you know, I kind of, I'm an idealist, right? So I knew the day was coming, but I was hoping to be the, the, the Bubba Gump, Forrest Gump, the last boat standing after the storm. Um, and, uh, but it didn't happen that way, Kevin. So, uh, yeah, we, we had to kind of firewalled it and you couldn't contact anyone. You couldn't influence a review, none of it. Um, but, we, you know, we felt like we were running it all completely white hat per Amazon TOS and, I mean, we used Amazon's review guidelines to train the, the, the reviewers. And, you know, we were the first ones to like be able to scrape the review to see if they actually put that disclaimer in there. Um, and those that didn't, we just kicked out. So we kept it really, really clean uh, at the uh, <laughs> ironically, when we shut down, we were generating about 25, 30,000 reviews a month. And we had like a 97% review rate on products distributed. It was, it was just really getting awesome. I remember there was guys that were gaming the system back then too. They would sign up under like 10 different email addresses, 10 different Amazon accounts. 
and they yeah. get 10 products. And then I, it was a fight. It was like slap a gnat uh, because they would then turn back around and sell it on my listing. Yeah. So they're basically getting the product 100% free. And then they would just turn around and just sell it uh, at full price or undercut me by a few bucks and take sales away from me. And yeah. that used to be a, what did you guys do to fight that? We actually implemented in our membership terms uh, a financial penalty for doing that. And so uh, it really kind of scared people into submission. So it was like $1,500 per incident. And then we had part of our customer service team actually went after and, and policed Amazon and actually sent cease and desist on behalf of our clients. What was it? I can't remember. What were we paying back then to it was like three bucks, five bucks. What was yeah, it? Yeah, we paid. It was like we had a small, like four hundred dollar uh, campaign fee, and then it was like I think three ninety nine or four four bucks per coupon redeemed. So you were doing twenty five to thirty thousand per. You said per week or per per month. Per month. Per month. So that was a multi million dollar business. Yeah, yeah, we were had a run rate of about two million when we shut down. And where, where did you, how did you recruit the reviewers just off of Facebook or they, they come to you guys or do you, um, yeah, this is early days of social media, social media wasn't what it is today. Yeah. We found, um, like a lot of the other ones ran like, you know, re referral contests and things like that internally and generated a lot of them for free. And we found when we did that, the quality just went way down. So we actually advertised for most of them. Um, and, uh, so we were paying early days, we were paying to, you know, Facebook to generate those reviewers. Um, but uh, it worked, I mean, because the quality was better and, and you know, we were able to, most of our competitors ran review campaigns, like you could do $100 a month and you could do all you want. And, you know, our average campaign was about a grand and, you know, we kept, we had a huge client retention rate and people just stayed and, you know, for a long time and just ran product review campaign after campaign. How would back then the tools weren't sophisticated? I don't even know when you first started, Helium 10 didn't even exist. And there was a few other tools, but how were you determining how many people, how many did recommend a client give away or sell to actually rank? Yeah, we built our own internal uh, software for that. And so we built a system that would generate, uh, you could, we'd load it in the codes. Um, back, you know, you could do all single use codes. And so, yeah, we had a system that we built that distributed them, tracked it all. Um, and uh, yeah, there wasn't any ranking tools, right? So we had to go manually back through the campaigns, look at the listing and see how how much uh, the client had climbed. Uh, yeah. you remember that one guy that he had one of the first keyword tools. It was a, the, the user interface was garbage. It was like a program, he's a, a programming guy. There was another fellow that had a, a tool keyword planner, keyword tracker, something, something along those lines. And it was a really rudimentary GUI. You had to kind of be a programmer to understand it, but it was actually really good. But he also, yeah, yeah. Remember he, he actually wrote a little program to watch. You're talking about the coupon codes. Cause one of the things that would happen is people would go in there and they set their coupon codes up wrong. And you want it to be like, a, I forget the exact wording, but it's like one per limit, one per right. customer, or one per redemption or something. But if you, if you didn't click this one little button, and it, it wasn't so always the most obvious. You would basically, that coupon could be used over and over and over. So people would get, they would say, they would send in a thousand units. Say they want to do a promotion with <clears throat> with somebody for a hundred or 200 units, but they would forget to restrict the coupon code. So someone right. would figure out that this coupon code is not restricted and go wipe out your inventory. And this yeah, guy I had the software tool and he would look for that. 
So he actually wrote a cron job to actually go and look for that. He his business was not to sell on Amazon, but to provide keyword tools and to take advantage of people that were setting up uh, program setting up discounts and giveaways and didn't set it up properly. And he would go under a different name, different company, and wipe them out and then resell that stuff. Yeah, remember that. I, I feel like I remember that same guy like had an embedded script in that software to turn uh, his customers' computers into mining crypto. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. That's him. Yep. Without, without yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jesus, you can't make this stuff up, Kevin. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, this is the, the wild, wild west. So when, So. That came out in October 2016, and how quickly after that did y'all shut down I Love to Review? Uh, almost immediately. Um, and uh, we knew we were going to pivot, right, and do something else. We had a good reputation in the industry for being for providing good. So we had made sellers a lot of money in those couple of years, right? So, I mean, we made some money ourselves, but we, we made people a lot of cash. And so we knew we wanted to stay in the industry, and... Um, uh, so that was, it was a tough time, though. I mean, we we sh- were down for a couple of weeks. We launched back with, uh, you know, a, just a promotional campaign service that didn't, you know, didn't create reviews, uh, which was still per terms of service until it wasn't. Kind of like uh, a search start- find buy kind of thing without yeah, the review component to it? Of, yeah. And then and some we- people would accidentally leave reviews? No, we actually no. instructed them not to, right? Okay. Because we didn't want to get anyone in trouble. So we um, we launched that and, and listing optimization services pretty much straight away. It was a different uh, under a different name, though, right? You changed the yeah. It was a company called Market Hustle, um, mm-hmm. which I in turn rolled. We had Market Hustle, and then then about six months later, we launched photography and design services under Seller Photo, and then about a year later, I rolled them both up into Page One. And page one still exists. That's your agency yeah, that's today. Agency now. And what is page one? So what? what's all in co- now, eight years later, seven years later, what's incorporated yeah. into page one? What do, what do you guys do now? Yeah. So about half of the business is managed services. So we manage ad spend and then we manage full account brand management. Um, and then the other side is project work on creative and content services. And so um, you know, the project side supports obviously our own clients, but then, you know, most of our other clients on the project side at this point hasn't always been this way, but at this point, our large brands are where we do bulk orders. And then we actually do a lot of creative and content work for other agencies. So is this, so your agency, are these big companies or smaller sellers or a mix or what, what's your specialty? It's, it's a mix. services. I would say, you know, our avatar would be the, uh, two to $20 million a year company on Amazon. Um, uh, we have some manufacturers, uh, you know, a couple of manufacturer clients, you know, so based in the U S older companies. Um, I think our oldest that we have a client that their company was founded in 1882, uh, fortune 500 company. We work with their dear, one of their D to C divisions. Um, so it's a little bit of a mix of everything. On the project side, it's mostly larger brands uh, and agencies. And back, like this, what we were talking about back in the day, it was people, it was keyword tools and launch tools that were the, the big focus. Yeah. And now I think there's, I don't know what the count is. There's got to be thousands of software tools in this Amazon space. Yeah. And now it seems like the agency model really didn't exist back then. <laughs> and now it seems like every failed seller is an agent. 
um, and every uh, and it's it's become inundated with eight with service providers. And you go to some of these shows. I mean, a few months ago we were at Accelerate, and th- that was mostly sellers, which was a yeah. was a nice refreshing change. Refreshing. But, yeah. But but a lot, um, and that's because Amazon, you had to have a seller account to actually go to the event. You know, I know a few people that kind of backdoored that a little bit, uh, but you, you're able to work around that if you want to. But it was mostly sellers. But you go to a lot of these events and you and I, you know, we, we different events all over. And sometimes you feel like the sellers are 10 percent of the 20 percent of the room and everybody yeah. else there is to sell you something is there to sell you something. Um, yeah. And so it seems like. Anybody that tries this Amazon game and does it fails for them or it doesn't work becomes a service provider. Like, oh, wait, this is a little easier. I can sell air and time instead of trying to manage inventory. And it's become where there's some great agencies out there and some good people, but there's a lot of garbage. What are, what's your take on what's happened and how has that affected like your business and you guys as a service provider? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, we used to not bump into other agencies, but, you know, now, like most of a lot of the other agencies are, are colleagues and friends of mine. Right. So, you know, most of the midsize agencies are run by people I know and um, and they do really good work. Um, I think it's easy to kind of like there's a difference between like a, a consultant that has a handful of clients. Right. Um and I think that that's different. I think if you're really good at managing advertising, you know, and, and you want to consult on the side of maybe you ran your brand or whatnot, you know, I don't have any, pro- I don't see any problem with that. I think, uh, but that's not a, that's not an agency. Like they're not there yet. Right. It's just a solo entrepreneur that's doing consulting work and probably doing all themselves. And I think there's a need for that. Right. They're generally less expensive. Um, uh, but at some point, if they want to keep growing their business, they're going to have to make decisions about, do I become a company? Right. And there's an inflection point to that. Um, you know, I think that on large scale agencies, the, the biggest challenge I see is agencies that overwork their staff. You know, they, they bleed them really thin because we're all selling time. And so they're going to pack a brand manager on with 10, 12, 15 clients. Like, how do you do it? I just doesn't the hours just don't make any sense you know you can't manage a large or mid-sized brand on two to three hours a week it just doesn't work so i think that's an inherent problem that that is a an an agency problem dating way back before amazon right they just people just fill them up uh fill up their their staff with way too many accounts um but i think you know it's a brand's job to to vet an agency or a consultant before hiring them and you know, there's a lot of ways to do that. You know, before you know, I've had clients that have literally asked for client referrals and go and call out and, and actually call our existing or previous clients and interview them. So, you know, I think there's a lot of due diligence on the on the brand's part that's required, uh, especially now with with so many so many people in the space. But agencies, I think I've always said this, and correct me if you if you have a different opinion, but. You're, the agency is only as good as the person assigned to your account. And so a lot of agencies will say, well, we have systems and we have SOPs and we have ways, but I still, that's great. And that, that, that helps. Or maybe you have special tools that you've developed or you know how to actually use the tools that are out there that a lot of people don't know how to use. Um, but it's still only as good as that person on your account. And going back to what you said too, it's not only their skill set, but it's also how many accounts are they managing? Uh, right. You know, it's going to affect that too. So I think that's where you see a lot of people bumping from agency to agency to agency, Agreed. how do you find these people that you're training? Are these VAs in the Philippines or Pakistan that you're training up? 
Are these people that used to sell and they actually have a kind of a sense of how this stuff works? Or how do you find those good people um, yeah. and put in good systems to make, make sure, you know, you're not having churn with the, with your clients all the time? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, and, and one that's probably not addressed very much, to be honest, you know, but there is, there usually is a gap, right? Agencies are generally run by, you know, people with big personalities and they can and get out and promote. Um, but they are generally not the people working on your account. I mean, I still do strategy on a, on a number of accounts, but I'm not internal inside accounts pulling levers. Right. So I think, and it's become more challenging. The The rise of the aggregator the last couple of years made it way more difficult to find quality staff. Uh, and they drove the price up of staff massively in 20, 2021 and 2022. Um, because aggregator is basically just a big agency that buys their clients, right? I mean, they're all buying accounts, mm-hmm. but they need all the same staff that we do. And so with Deep Pockets, they're willing to pay people you know, a, a fairly absorbent rates. And they've come down a little bit, Kevin, but they're still way higher than they used to be. So we do a combination of a couple of things. So we, we hire out, we try to hire out good talent, all of our brand managers, and uh, we have a newer VP of advertising. They're all US-based uh, with experience, mostly with experience at agencies previously. Um, uh, and some of which were brand owners are, or currently are brand owners as well. And so our client facing folks are all here in the U.S. and we've got to pay top dollar for that. And then we have support network behind that is both onshore and offshore. You know, any agency that has I don't know any actual agency, maybe. Maybe one one advertising agency that doesn't have any offshore staff, it's just it's it's really almost impossibly price competitive if you don't. Um, so once a client you assign a client comes in and then you assign them to somebody, does does anybody cross check them? Like do do they ever trade places? Do you ever have like yeah. a guy who's working on X Y Z company and the other guy that's working on ABC for a week? They swap places to see what the other one might have missed or have a different perspective on it, or is it just that you've got one guy working on it and y'all have weekly meetings and you kind of go over whatever, or how does, how does that work to actually keep people on their toes and make sure you're giving the best job? That's a great question. Um, yeah, we cross audit a lot. So, so we have, we have team leads that are not actually working in the account so they can stay very objective and go in there and see, uh, what is happening without being the one in the weeds all the time. Uh, but we, you got to put really solid SOPs in place, really solid training, and then audit yourself all the time, right? And so, uh, like our VP of advertising audits the the PPC managers to make sure that they're on task and meets with them weekly. Uh, I often audit the brand managers and come back over and looking for things that they've missed if they've missed anything. But we're constantly revising strategy with the, within the team as well as with the client. Is it better to hire someone with experience in those positions or better to hire, hire someone that has aptitude and skill uh, rather than experience and you train them up? Or is it better to get someone that actually is, has dabbled in Seller Central because those people could be stuck in their ways and they've learned improperly from another agency or another yeah. client? I think it depends on where you're at as a company. Uh, you know, training from someone up from the from ground zero takes a long time, right? So, you know, I think if it's catalog managers and account health people back end, like handling the Amazon 
issues and listing suppressions and all the back end stuff. I think you can train someone from scratch on there, but I would rather uh, have someone that's got a couple of years that they've learned on someone else's dime and not our client's dime and, and then go and do really proper evaluations the way that they work and then teach them our processes and, and make sure that they're on, on our path. Um, advertising people, we don't hire anyone fresh off the boat. Uh, there's just too much to learn. It changes too fast. And it's too long to bring people up to see. Same for brand managers. We look for a couple of years uh, at the agency level or inside of a brand minimum. What's the hardest thing to manage out there? So when clients come to you, what what is the toughest thing with the, the just people are always clients are always complaining about it. They're always the least happy about what is that? What's that one area that's just a, a pain in the ass? Yeah, I think. Probably not the answer you're looking for, but managing expectations in general is probably mm-hmm. the hard part, right? So, you know, we try to set very realistic. You think you're uh, magicians, right? Yeah. You know, like, why isn't my A plus up already? Well, we submitted it. Amazon needs to review it. You know, it'll it's a process, right? It's not instant. Like, we don't own Amazon, right? They, they approve everything. Um, uh, so I think if you... If you do a really good job of, of setting a clear vision for the brand, uh, aligning on the strategy to get there, and then managing the expectations within that process, and then just communicating very proactively, you do get in front of a lot of the questions and you kind of eliminate like reactive brands and sellers and things like that. Um, but we don't work with a lot of folks that came out of the DIY space, they used to do it all themselves internally at the brand and then went and hired an agency. Uh, An agency is never going to run your business like you did when you started. Like it it just doesn't work, right? Uh, You stared at Seller Central 24-7 while you were launching your brand and and fixated on all these nuances. And, you know, we're going to get into the weeds on a lot of things, but we're going to set strategy that is going to, uh, be big rocks that are going to move the brand in the right direction. Uh, and then try to eliminate all the stuff that stop it, you know, like, you know, listings getting suppressed or, you know, fall rank dropping or sessions dropping and, and deduce why those things are happening and fix it as much as we can and quick as we can. Um, and we have a pretty good success rate with that, but it's, it's impossible to get everything. You know, we, again, Amazon's its own beast and, and you've got to sometimes be reactive with even within managing an account. So how are the new tools that are um, automating a lot of things that you might have had to have VAs in the background doing manually before? A lot of new tools have automated that process. And then you have AI that's the hot talk right now. That's, you know, people are saying, ah, this, some people are of the school of thought that, well, you're not going to need a PPC managers anymore. This AI is going to be able to do it all. You, instead of 10 people, you're going to be able to do it with one person. Maybe. Babysitting it. Uh, what, what, where are you seeing this going or what are your predictions for how this is going to affect or you're like, ah, that's just a bunch of overblown smoke. No, it's definitely not overblown. I think, you know, to ignore the value of AI um, would be short-sighted, right? I think that there's a lot of opportunity within the space. Um, like a lot of things, it, it's it's not there yet in many areas. Like, you know, uh, like you said, we came back from uh, from Accelerate a few months back and you know, when we did, we immediately started testing the listing creation AI tool. And I, 
I would never put a listing up with that, you know, like, uh, you know, early days, it was like, it was like scraping other competitors, brand names and putting them into your listing. And it was all kinds of, you know, garbage. So it's not there yet. It gets better quickly. Um, I think the, you know, the, you know, the, in our space, advertising is, is, has had the longest run with AI. Um, and I, you know, we we work with a platform that uses AI. We have for for years. Um, you know, there's there's AI around setting rules and having those apply, and then there's AI around bid management, right? Um, bid management makes the most sense uh, because it can just, you know, like try to try to run bid management manually on on a catalog of 300 products, right? Like it's just, I mean, you can do bulk uploads, right? But Either way, it's still daunting, right? So you need some support there. Um, you just got to, but you have to, someone, and this is the job of the agency if they're using this tool, you have to become an expert at how to train that tool because uh, it just doesn't work out of the box the way that, you, you know, it's 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 like the project management system, Kevin. You look, you, you go into it and you look at the, the sales video and my God, this is amazing. And then you get this the SaaS product and it's just like it's like an IKEA piece of furniture, <laughs> yeah. right? And like this thing, how do you get it to do what I saw in the video, right? I want that version. And the reality is, you've got to customize it, right, to fit your brand and 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 your goals and your budget and, and your vision, right? So it takes a lot of human interaction to get there. No I see it, the AI right now, where we're at right now, at least, and this could change, but is it's great at some of the menial things and some of the just you know, repetitive tasks that a robot could do, you know, download this spreadsheet, move these columns over here, do that kind of stuff that you might've had to have a VA in the Philippines sure. at one point doing, you know, for four bucks an hour, it can automate a lot of that. And it's, but it's like you said on the listing manager that um, the listing creator, the AI listing creator, I wouldn't trust that damn thing either. I don't trust Amazon when they tell me how much to ship in. Uh, you know, when they give you these estimates, uh, I don't trust any of that. The only thing yeah. I trust is, they, is, is that they have traffic and eyeballs. Um, and I think where a lot of people, they're too lenient on the AI and AI is not a creative tool. Um, it's great if, with the right inputs. And so some of the image creation can be pretty cool. If you know how to input, do the, do right. the inputs, right. Just kind of like what you said, you watch the video and how do you make it do this thing? And when it comes to writing, like on listings, I think it, to write a listing from scratch based on a picture or a single line, it's impossible. It's going to suck. It's, it's yeah. got to suck, uh, at least now. Uh, but if you have a listing already done and you want to fine tune it, I think it's great at that, at finding some of the holes or rewriting it in a, in a more clever or better way or including some additional keywords that you might have missed. But and, and that's where, like with my newsletter, you know, I don't use AI to, to write any of that. But I sometimes will, if I'm in a brain fog, I'm like, OK, let me take this story that I wrote. I will put, tell ChatGPT, write, rewrite it. I will write it out, the whole thing. And then I'll say, rewrite this uh, in a certain style or in a, a funny way, or what's a good line for this? And then I go through and I cherry pick. You know, yeah. it might come up with a good sentence here or there, or a better way to say something like, that's creative. That's actually pretty cool. And I swap it out, but I don't just take it as is. And I think a lot of people are just looking for the lazy way out. And that's where I think um, it's, I think some of these agencies that start leaning on that too much are going to have problems. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think you're exactly right. It's almost like, um, call the AI bot, 
you know, like an employee, right? And so, hey, I want you to do this. Okay, so I like what you did there, but let's make it more like this. And then I like what you did there. Let's leave that and do more like this. So it's like you're editing drafts, right? And you got to get really good at the prompts. Um, but we've never, we use it in the same way you did. We've never, ever had a listing that's generated by AI come out at like even 90% there, let alone 50 or 60. And I think the, 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 the tricky thing is over the years, like we've had to evolve to continue to write listings differently and differently and more specific and more tactile and, uh, you know, uh, more on specific to the brand, the experience the brand wants to create and less generic. Right. And, uh, the AI tends to be a little generic. I do have a funny AI story though. Yeah. We were, uh, uh, I'm in an entrepreneur group out here and we were in Jamaica on a retreat, uh, a few million earlier this year. And, uh, we were on this rooftop bar and one of my buddies was talking to this woman and she's like, Oh, we're from New York. And she's like, what do you do? And he's like, uh, she's, uh, Oh, I write children's books. And this guy is super into AI. And so literally as I'm talking to her, he's on his phone on chat GPT and I'm mid journey. And within like three minutes, he's like, Oh, you mean like this one? And it had written out an entire children's book and illustrated the entire thing. I mean, and it was awesome, right? It was unique and clever. So, you know, mid journey or uh, AI is good for that stuff, Kevin, but it's, it's got yeah, a lot. But, that, but you speak of that. Amazon's just cracked down on that because that became one of the new get rich quick themes on YouTube over the, over the fall, uh, last uh, spring and summer is how to publish on Kindle uh, children's books. And it was a big issue with travel books where people were becoming, you know, Rick Steves and National okay. Geographic and writing having AI write me a book about visiting Italy um, and they would spit out a travel book and they'd make some fancy cover that looked legit and put this travel book up on, on Amazon. People were buying them um, and it, they were pure garbage, like giving wrong directions, like saying missing things like in, in Rome, they don't even say to go to the Coliseum. Uh, you know, it just, it was crazy. And so it's been a big issue uh, on, on Amazon and Kindle and they've just come out and, really cracking down on you have no AI books are allowed anymore on there. I, I think, you know, I don't know how they're policing that exactly, but, but it's a, That's interesting. it was a, it was a big get rich quick uh, thing that uh, was, uh, was a major, major problem in the publishing industry. It's unbelievable the amount of the things that how you know, people that are, are trying to scam people think like the amount of effort and energy they put into this stuff is unbelievable. It's just, I don't, I don't it, and this has always happened in this space and it's, it's, it, yeah, it's really interesting. It's hard to even get, you know, fathom when you don't think criminal, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can write, I mean, AI can do something cool. Like if you're doing it for your kid or something like that, or right. say, but I think people that are doing it, AI books and putting them up on Kindle, you get, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, there's, there's people that are, if you want to summarize something, you know, if I have like, my freedom ticket course, for example, it's 60 some odd hours of training with helium 10. And if I, um, one of the ideas is to be, has been to take that and create a book out of it. Well, if I don't want to actually just pay someone to edit that and do that, then having AI just summarize that and go through it might be an option, but you're still going to have to have someone go back through it and make sure it didn't mess something up. Um, that could be a practical use for it. And that's a legitimate use to turn that into like a, uh, you know, the cliff notes version or something uh, of the course. 
Uh, but to just have it spit stuff out randomly uh, or from scratch, I think is, is can be problematic. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you're an author. I wrote a novel year, many, many years ago. And like, you know, these are, you just think if it's, this thing takes off, like, you know, where's our culture going to be in 10, 15 and 20 years. And, you know, people actually haven't cultivated their own work that comes out of their, you know, heart and mind. And it's, uh, yeah, it's scary and a little sad. Well, it's not just the Kindle stuff, though, too. It's also newsletters right now. Newsletters are a hot topic because there's some newsletters that sold for millions of dollars. You know, the Milk Road, Daily Hustle, um, several that have sold for millions of dollars. So it's attracted a lot of people into the you know, into the SEO people, into the newsletter space. And they're using AI to crank out these newsletters that 90% of them are pure garbage. Uh, and it's just going to, it's going to, uh, and they're making these big promises that you can build this thing up and sell this for gazillions of dollars. And it's just not going to happen. You're going to have one or two sneak through. And th- those are the poster boys or poster girls. And, and that's, that's it. Um, and it's every, yeah, it, it's every new technology brings on new opportunities, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a new wave of people trying to take advantage of it. Right. So when it comes to the agency side of things, what is, What's the end goal? If, you, if I'm selling, if I'm starting an Amazon FBA business, I, I, your end goal should be to ex- eventually exit that business because that's where you're going to make the most money is when you exit it, not in actually running it. Sure. From the agency side, that's a little bit harder to do. I mean, there are some agencies that get bought and sold, but it's a little bit tougher game. So what's the building up an agency with all these people and all this overhead and all this stuff to manage? What's the end game there um, for someone like uh, you guys? You're making me sound crazy for doing it, um, Kevin. So, um, yeah, I mean, is it to pay the bills and retire, or is it uh, is it to actually is there some sort of merger or in game or get bought by a Procter and Gamble to have them do all their stuff, or what's the? Yeah, what's the I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, I probably like my fellow agency owners get. I mean, I probably get contacted about every other week uh, of someone looking to buy or invest in. Um, an agency. So there's plenty of people out there that are, there's plenty of a market for, for solid agencies. There's been a lot of acquisitions in our space, you know, buy box expert, uh, got acquired a few years back by Spreetail. Um, some of my friends have made at, you know, smaller acquisitions underneath their agencies. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the goal is exit at, at some point. Um, I don't, you know, I'm 52, so, you know, I've got years left. I enjoy it right now, Kevin. We're growing. Um, and I love working on brands and help and doing the strategy work and helping them grow. Uh, so there will come a point in time where I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, and so we'll either promote from within and I'll become a minority uh, shareholder at that time and, and go do other things, maybe play pickleball full time. Uh, but uh, or I'll look to button up underneath a larger agency uh, and then potentially be part of a bigger exit. You said play pickleball full time. I understand you you are like a massive pickleball player. Like you, you carry your racket. You know, I think it's a Scott Scott Dietz. He's a massive music audiophile, and he actually he has this like three thousand seven hundred dollar speaker. It's like this little speaker. <laughs> it's some company in Europe. Um, it's so cool that I actually ended up um, buying one too, but he had a custom, custom, uh, case made like a, one of those custom 
roller cases or whatever you take on the plane or backpack, whatever it is. And he takes this everywhere he goes in every hotel room. He puts this speaker in, in the hotel room and, you know, relaxes to music at night. And this speaker, I have to admit, it does sound like I've never heard anything like it. It sounds like you're right there at the concert when, you know, you're playing some ACDC or something. It sounds like you're right there next to the amp. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. And some, I, he's been, been to a few uh, events where he'll invite somebody up, uh, you know, Hey, come, let's come listen to uh, Leonard Skinner or come listen to whatever. And, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of cool, but you, you don't do that with speakers. You do that with a pickleball racket. So I, you told me yeah. like on all your trips, you, you pack your pickleball racket. If you're going to an Amazon event or taking a little trip because you playing like four or five times a week or something, right? Yeah. When I'm home, I play, I mean, you know, I try to give my body a couple days rest, but I, I play at least four days a week, sometimes six. Um, and, uh, yeah, I try to work it into travel. I mean, it's, for me, it's like, you know, people that take their workout clothes or go for a run when they're traveling, I like to play pickleball and it's, uh, it's an incredibly social sport and it's one of the unique things that you can do, do it with other people that you don't know anywhere in the world that you are. And, so like, you know, I know where there's courts in, in, in Vegas, you know, off strip and, you know, travel through other locations. And the only reason I, I am play when I saw you at Accelerate is because I spent four days in, in Utah playing once or twice a day, uh, every day leading up to that. So I love it, man. I'm like mildly addictive, but it's a healthy obsession. And, and it's something that, I, you know, I, I hope I do for as long as I can. So for those of that don't know what pickleball is, can you explain? It's kind of like a mix between what racquetball and tennis or something, or what's it? I would what's say it's probably badminton? a yeah, probably the the best analogy would be you know tennis meets ping pong meets badminton. So the court's about a third of the size of a tennis court. You're playing with hard paddles, um, no strings on the paddles, and the ball is like a wiffle ball, like we used to use as kids in the in the sandlot, right? Um, and so it bounces funny ways. It it doesn't bounce very much at all, right? Oh, so okay. it definitely bounces, but you don't get a lot of height out of the bounce. Like every bounce is going to be lower, and like a tennis, you know, tennis ball really is springy. Uh, this is made out of plastic, right? And the the paddles are like a newer ones are like carbon fiber. Uh, uh, and um, yeah, the court is small, so it's a it's a position uh, game with a massive variable and pace throughout one point right so it'll go from really slow to really sped up and fast um, but unlike tennis you play most of the game literally standing 14 feet away from your opponents like right up to what they call the kitchen line uh, so it's it's fast it's strategic it's a phenomenal workout i think i lost 15 pounds in the first couple months when i started playing um, and, uh, it's just super fun. So I've made friends everywhere I've played and it's, it's a unique, it's a very unique thing. Like tennis, you can't do that. I mean, I don't know any other sport that you can just walk on and create a social circle. And, you know, so the you know, ball can't hit the ground. Is that right? Oh no, it can. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Can. Okay. Yeah. One bounce. Um, uh, there's a zone on each side of the net called the non-volley zone. It's like seven feet off the net on each side and you cannot play a ball out of the air when you're standing in that area. So it prevents you from going right up to net and slamming it. Slamming it. Yeah. Once the ball bounces, you can play it from within that area. Um, but you can play the ball in the air anywhere else outside of that, that zone. Is it a one-on-one -on -one game or two-on-two -two all the time? They play singles, but predominantly people play doubles. Yeah. So I, I hear they're now they're converting like the old 
Bed Bath and Beyonds into like indoor yeah. pickleball courts. And that's like, I know here in Austin, I think the world head, there's something, but they're building the world headquarters or world federation of pickleball or some, they're building some huge thing here in Austin. There's have like 82 the, courts and like yeah, some sort of like, you know, the NFL of pickleball or something. In, in the sports world, pickleball is currently the gold rush, right? Um, you know, the, on Amazon, there's a lot of opportunity in pickleball uh, products and gear. You know, paddles is a kind of a, a red ocean at the moment. It's so competitive, uh, you know, but there's lots of opportunities outside of it. You know, there's there's large companies that have built, you know, uh, from two to 10 facilities. There's a couple of franchises, Chicken, Chicken and Pickle, uh, Pickler, Club USA, Pickleball, Um and I mean, in Florida, there's crowdfunding going on to be part owners of facilities. It's it's crazy. And they're converting old, unused tennis courts and old, unused retail shops like nuts. So is it free to play? Like when you show up, when you're when you're in Utah and you played four days in a row, do you have to have some sort of membership or you just show up at a court and buy depends, a beer and you're in? Or? Depends on where you play. So public courts are generally free and there's a lot of them, right? Uh I mean, where I live in Florida, we probably have 70-ish, maybe more public courts that are all free. Um, different locations, you know, 10 here, six here, six here. Um, uh, we did play indoors once in Utah when I was there at a club called The Pickler. And, uh, you know, that's a membership-based uh, program. And, you know, you pay a membership fee, you pay a little amount for court time, and, and you play. Um, but you're inside under AC, no wind. It's awesome. Um, so how do you control it? If if you said you just randomly come up and you you put your bracket in a little hole or something and say, I want next game, kind of like putting your quarter on the edge of a pool table or whatever in the old yeah, days. Right. Um, what 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 is how, what if that per, what if you're new? Uh, me, I've never played it. I've, I've wanted to, but I show up and you're on the court. And I jump in. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Are you just like, dude, get get the freak off of here? Um, uh, go over yeah. there and play with the little kids, or or what? What do you? How does how do you control that? I've uh, I've I've brought lots of my friends into pickleballs over the over the last couple of years. So I always recommend the same thing. So there's t- it's very similar to the Amazon journey, right? There's tons of free training on on YouTube. So I'd say you know go go watch a couple of videos on the rules. Go watch a couple of videos on strategy, uh, beginner strategy. So you know the basics, right? And then find in your local area a group clinic for beginners. And that'll probably put you in a group with 20 or 25 other people. Um, so you, But at that point, you don't need individualized coaching. You need the basics, right? So it'll teach you how to hold the paddle. It'll teach you to go over the basic rules, you know, the basic shots, You know, and then once you've done that, you know, you can actually get out. And and the first time you go, grab a group of people that are all around, you know, brand new and just go play for fun. Right. And the reason and one of the reasons the sport's growing so fast is because you'll have fun the very first time you play, regardless of what level you're at. You know, so it's, it's very hard as an adult to start something and suck at it and still have a good time. Right. I mean, we just don't do this very often. Like we want to be good at something from the beginning. Uh, so and then you can ma- make gains really quickly and you'll get to a point where it gets hard to improve. But you can get to a, a, comp- a you know, a level that is at least competent fairly quickly. 
Is it always on a hard court, or do they do it like yeah. volleyball is hard court and sand? Or is it no, always no, no. it's all all hard court. You have you have indoor around the country, like playing that like on a basketball court, but it's a very different game. And you know the the, the true purists of the game don't care for it very much. So what what is it that makes it so much fun? Is it just it's very you said it could be slow or it can be fast paced? Is it just yeah. is it the challenge of it or what is it that just a little bit? You're, you're everybody's competitive. What what is it that makes it so addictive and so fun? So I kind of compare it to pizza sometimes, right? So pizza's just got this very unique set of things that together make it very addictive, right? There's sugar in the sauce. You can have all these different ingredients. It's really easy to eat. You can do it with your hands, right? Um, It's somewhat interactive. And, you know, there's yeast in the bread. All these things combine to make pizza a very, very addictive food, right? Um, And so, you know, pickleball, easy to play from the first time. You have a blast the first time you play it. Uh, You're laughing with people almost every time you play. you create, it instantly kind of creates a new social network over this. It's very like the ethos of the game is very community based uh, and inclusive. And then as you progress, you can get more competitive. Like I'm playing in a tournament next weekend. I never thought I would compete at sports again, you know, after high school. And, and now 30 years later, 35 years later, I'm now competing actively against peers, you know? So um, and you can continuously, like you can make improvements by working on your game intently, you know, over time quickly. So all those things combined just make it just awesome. Now, is this a fat man's game or for someone that's in shape you, um, to do this or, or is it for basically you have 90 year old grandmas and 20 yeah. year old kids all playing in the same court because it's, it's, it, it's, or does it take a certain like level of uh, athleticism to actually well, do this? I think you can play at all levels regardless of your athleticism, right? Uh, and that's another really cool thing about it. I've been on a court where I'm playing with a with a 14 year old kid, and the other on the other side of the court is his dad and his grandfather, and all could be really good at the sport, right? So that's super unique. There's not a lot of things like that. So how long do you play? Is it like for an hour, you play several games in an hour. Will you play to fifteen or ten? Or games are over in ten to twenty minutes generally, and so you're. That's another part. It's constantly rotating. It's quick. It doesn't take a long attention span. You're kind of in and out. And then when you're not playing, you're talking to all the people that are waiting to play. And so that's where the a lot of the social part comes in. It. I will say, although all fitness levels can play, yeah, you got to take care of your body, right? So as we get older, things hurt, right? Uh, that didn't hurt before. Uh, pickleball has kind of put occupational and physical therapists back on the map, right? So <laughs> it's easy to get injured. So you got to kind of prep, you got to stretch, you got to warm up and uh, and just take care of yourself and be smart while you're playing. So back on the Amazon side, if I'm an oven brand out there listening to this right now, and I'm like, I, I need to hire an agency to help me with my listing, to help me with my PPC, to just do it. What are some of the correct, what, what are like three of the top criteria I should be looked for when I'm interviewing you versus your competition? What, what are some things that I need to take, three most important things I should take into consideration before I hire an agency? Yeah, I think uh, track record of success is, is one. 
you, they should be willing to share client examples, whether it's creative or advertising. Um, you know, generally speaking, you know, the days I know like back in the day, no one wanted to tell anyone what they sold and all that stuff. But, um, you know, if they're working with larger brands, these, these brands don't care, right? They're like, come on, you know, compete. So, you know, getting some references from them, you know, if they're saying that they're good at creative work, get examples, they should have hundreds of them, right? So, um, you know, if their examples are not of A plus content, you wouldn't put on your own listings, they're probably not a good fit. Uh, find out what, what their wheelhouse is, right? Like, so we started as a creative agency and had to build our PPC business over time. So, you know, for years, our, our wheelhouse was creative that converts and that's what we were really good at. We're still good at that, but it took us a while to, to build the advertising side. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, all brands are going to be in a life cycle. So like if, you know, if, if you're going to be the smallest brand in their portfolio, probably not a good idea, right? Because you're just not going to get the attention. You're paying a lot less money than other people. Um, and, uh, so, and then just dig a little deeper. What, you know, how do they set up their brand managers? How many accounts they work on? Find out who actually is going to be working on your account, right? Whether you're going to have a, a figurehead and then have all the work's done, you know, somewhere else. Um, all that makes a difference, you know? And then I think ultimately you gotta, you gotta want to be in relationship with them. And, you know, th these are generally year long, you know, contracts or, or sometimes longer. And you got to want to, you got to feel like you're, you know, you've got someone that you want to take to dinner that knows what they're doing and how to run your brand because you're going to talk to them a lot. And so if your personalities just don't mesh, then it's not a good fit. Awesome. Well, Keith, I've got some uh, pickleball videos I got to go watch here to learn how to, uh, <laughs> to learn, learn how to play. Um, so if uh, this has been great chatting with you, if, if people want to find out more about your agency or find out more about you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just hit our site. We're at page dot one. Uh, so not dot com, but dot one. I think we come up for both. Um, but and then I generally do my you know, networking through LinkedIn. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn at Keith B. O'Brien. Awesome. Keith, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was great uh, chatting about the old days and uh, what's happening today. You're the master interviewer, Kevin, man. It was really a pleasure. Uh, you asked phenomenal questions, man, and they're great. Um, Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to connect and uh, it's certainly always a pleasure to spend some time with you. It's always a good time to speak with someone like Keith, who's been around this business. We can reminisce about the old days. Some of you that are new to the business, you get to hear how it used to be and how the, it was quite a bit easier than it is right now. It's still a great opportunity to sell on Amazon, but those good old days were some crazy times, uh, just printing money left and right with hardly any effort in some, some cases. It, it was great. Hope you got a lot from this episode. We'll be back again next week with another incredible episode. Don't forget to sign up for the Billion Dollar Sellers newsletter, billiondollarsellers.com. I have a virtual event coming up in February that you can attend from anywhere in the world. And I have my event in Hawaii coming up in May. But in the meantime, sign up for that free newsletter. It's twice a week, billiondollarsellers.com. Before we leave today, I've got some words for advice for you. You know, your gift is what you do well naturally. Your gift on this planet 
is what you do well naturally. Have a great week. See you next time.